You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. I don't get to do that with all my guests. actually pretty excited that I am up here. It hasn't been a year yet. My pattern seems to be yearly. <laughs> oh, I know. I have a different voice than John and David and AJ. Are we good? You want me to just keep going? All right, cool. So when the, John was talking about last week when he was just like, what should I speak on? And my spirit and my soul has just been on this thing of, like, what does love look like? Like, I love mystical things. I love deep things, like the prophetic and all of that. But there's also this, like, super black and white practical side to me where I'm like, I dig the mystery, but sometimes I just need to know some things. (laughs) Like, at least give me a diving board, okay? (laughs) And so I've been... On this, like, what does love look like? Jesus, what does your love look like? The world right now is defining love in a very, very broad, broad way. And so I want to start with those and hit those really fast to show you how sometimes that they can become a trap with the way that the world defines love. And so there tends to be, I'm going to oversimplify this, into two separate camps of what we'll call worldly love. The first one that we've been seeing a lot here recently is the self-care love. Now hear me, because I'm the emotional health, know your stuff, know yourself person. So I'm not saying ignore yourself. But this self-care camp is really self-love. It's the love of self, not the love of God. And what this camp does is it says that I'm important and you are not because you are not me. And my role is to love me, right? But what is Jesus's commandment? It's to love who? One another, your neighbor as yourself. So we're still there. That's what I'm saying. Like we're not ignoring ourselves, but this camp forgets the first part and just hangs on the last part as you love yourself. And we do, as Christians, need to go on the journey of loving ourselves, okay? I am a huge proponent of the love journey of yourself, finding out who you are, celebrating who you are in Christ. Because this self-care, what it really is, is it's just renaming this really aggressive but powerless love and calling it Christ's love. It's really powerless behavior to say you're not important, just me. And to come at people. Like, how dare you make me feel uncomfortable? How dare you offend me? How much of that is going around right now, right? We feel like we have to walk on eggshells everywhere we go because self-love is running rampant. The second camp is where I would say the church kind of tends to like accidentally live in. 
And it's the doormat camp. <laughs> it's the counterfeit Christian love of you matter and I don't. Again, don't start thinking things I'm not saying. <laughs> there is sacrificial love. Your love's not always going to feel great for you, but it doesn't mean that you don't exist. Again, this doormat camp, they are renaming passive powerless behavior and calling it love. So we keep saying love, but it's really just powerless behavior. And if you want to know more about that, it's in Danny Silk's books. And then he'll be here again in September. <laughs> so learn about what this behavior is, okay? Because then once we get those out of the way, we can actually focus on what love means. Because what we tend to do is we tend to, like, be a pendulum. Got to love others, got to love others until I'm burned out and there's nothing left in me but crispy charcoal. So I'm going to go swing over here to self-care and you guys all suck and I'm taking care of me and the church uses people and ah! And then the Lord kind of starts getting your heart and you're like, oh, but there, yeah, I, I do have to reach people. So I'm going to swing over here. <laughs> right? We keep swinging. We keep swinging. We, and, and this is what Christians are calling balance because they're just saying it's just seasons, guys. It's just seasons. No, it's instability. That's why the people in the world are like, what is going on? I do not want to jump on that train. <laughs> so how do we find love? How do we define love? It's technically one word, Jesus, <laughs> right? So many of us do know the answer is Jesus. But what I want to talk about today is that we have to actually look at the humanity of Jesus to find the love of the Father and to find supernatural love. It was in his humanity because so many times we say, well, we, we're not the Father, we're humans, and yes, we're, we're trying to be like Christ, but how do we love in the mist? How do we start loving the way the Father loves in the mist? Jesus showed us he came fully human with all of our emotions, right? With our body, right? It doesn't mean that he never felt fear. It doesn't mean that he never felt anxiety. It doesn't mean that he never felt suffering like it said that he wept it said he was moved with deep compassion he felt things okay so he wasn't numb and that's how he was able to stay connected to heaven he lived a very complicated nuanced complex life and so what I want to do is I started on this by like going through every single interaction that Jesus had with people and I was like, we will be here for like six months if we do that. <laughs> so I have picked one story that I want to read to you. We're going to have story time at the beginning. And then I really want to break it down with you guys to show you how we can step into how Jesus lived on this earth, doing what the Father did and saying what the Father said. So our story is going to be in Luke not Luke 8, excuse me, Luke 8, 
We're going to start at verse 40. You guys ready for story time? (laughs) So I'm going to read the whole story at the very beginning so that we can have a good solid foundation. And then we'll start going through it. I'll take a drink while you guys are getting there. So it's going to be Luke 8, 40 through 56. Okay. So when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, this Jesus, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him. Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. But he said, stop crying, because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave the orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So, we have read this story so many times, right? It's our Bible story. We know what's going to happen. We know that she's raised from the dead. But let's actually, like, dig into this story and find kingdom love. Because I don't think it looks like what we think it looks like. So let's start with just the first two, the first two to three verses. So Jesus had shown up in the in the city. Everyone was welcoming him. He was chit-chatting. He was getting all the greetings. People were excited. He was talking. And Jairus comes and interrupts with a completely different agenda. They're excited, and he is coming in desperate. He was pleading, come, my daughter is dying. So love looks like that sometimes you got to change gears, right? You have to stop. You have to listen. Also, what, I mean, Who knows, would you say that Jairus, the way that he came in and just interrupted and flung himself at Jesus, was that the most proper thing to do? Was that the best way? 
to get his attention? Maybe not. You know what I mean? Like if we're up here talking and somebody flings themselves at me, you know what I mean? Sometimes love ignores how the presentation happens and focuses on the pain and the issue at hand. There's a grace that we don't have to do things perfectly and love will find us. But I also want to flip it. I want to keep talking about the crowd because Jesus talked to a few people and there was a whole lot of people in this story. What about the crowd? They were excited Jesus was finally there. He was finally going to break out in signs, wonders, and miracles, all these stories that they heard about him, and he gets there, and he's leaving. (laughs) Jesus is love. Sometimes we have to realize following the Father looks different than what we think it's going to look like. How would you have responded if you were in that crowd and you're like, Jesus, he's finally here. Where's he going? Why did he leave? Doesn't he know all this that's going on here? Why did he leave with the one man? It's still love. It's still kingdom love. He also responded immediately. I would say that the church has done pretty well with this, that love goes. Love responds, love goes, right? I want to look at this story um, in Matthew's account really fast. It's, you don't have to turn there, but it's in Matthew 9, and it's starting with verse 18. Let me get to it. So it says, as he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him saying, My daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. So it was an immediate. I have a need. Absolutely, let's go. Love goes. So now we're to the point where Jesus is going. What does the story say in verse 43? That while he was going with the crowds, they were nearly crushing him. Does that sound fun? (laughs) Like, let's step into Jesus' humanity. He was a human that was following the Father. We look at celebrities nowadays, and they have, like, security, or they have, like, a car that drops them off. Jesus didn't have that. It said that the crowds were crushing him. I would say that that's a pretty good opportunity to feel overwhelmed. That makes me feel overwhelmed just thinking about it. And I don't think it's this whole, like, are you extroverted? Are you introverted? I'm this personality type. I'm that personality type. I don't think any human being likes being crushed by a crowd. Right? For real, step into what Jesus was experiencing. If we want to learn and grow our muscles of how to follow the Father, we have to develop these skills. He could have been overwhelmed. And what happens to us when we're overwhelmed? 
We either disassociate from the whole thing, and you're like, nobody talks to me. I I don't exist here anymore. You don't exist. I don't exist. Like, (laughs) you disassociate from it. Or you get aggressive, and you start throwing elbows and trying to muscle your way through the crowd. You guys know that I'm right, okay? Some of you are looking at me like, I would never do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Self-awareness, guys. (laughs) Self-awareness. So we obviously know that Jesus didn't get aggressive. It has no scriptures where he was throwing elbows or yelling at people. He has yelled at people, so you know that he can, and he did not. Okay, so he didn't get aggressive. He also did not disassociate from the situation. How do we know that? Because he stopped. When the woman with the issue of blood touched him, he had an awareness He was connected to heaven enough to know when heaven moved through him. Can can I just reemphasize the importance of your body? Because where did heaven move through? She touched him physically, so he felt it physically. No, that is such a good key right there, that you could honestly take a whole journey of that right there. Do you know what it feels like when heaven moves through you physically? Are you aware of how heaven manifests in your body? Because if you don't know, how do you know of the activity? What if you're, you get a different like feeling in your chest when heaven starts running through you? Do you get butterflies in your stomach like you're excited when heaven runs through you? That's when some people start doing the like, oh, right? That's heaven moving through their physical body. Don't judge. <laughs> All right? Or what I like to call the chicken dance when, when I really get going. I mean, I don't even know what's happening to my body, but I'm like, heaven's happening. Heaven's happening. <laughs> right? <laughs> See, he was aware. Oh, I am getting way ahead of myself. I'm on another page. Where we go? <laughs> So many times, we really get sucked into, especially with how busy our world is, we get so overwhelmed by so many complicated situations, by other people's pain that are coming to us. Um, we're, just, we're pulled into pain. We're pulled into pain. We have our own pain. We have our own situations. We have their situations. It's not just ministers. It's everyone here, Right? There's so many situations that we have to juggle. It's so easy to get overwhelmed, and the first one we cut off is the Father because we're just like, we can't do anymore. And we know that he doesn't reject us, so he's kind of the safest one to cut off temporarily. (laughs) We always act our worst with our safest person, let's just be honest. That's why our kids always misbehave at home. But that's not what Jesus did. He stayed connected to the Father in the opportunity of overwhelm. He worked through it, or he would have missed that opportunity to give her freedom. I also want to talk about how he stopped for one person. One. He was being crushed by a crowd, and he stopped for one On one side, it shows that the Father sees the one. 
there's going to be moments in your life where he sees you and he has someone stop for you. You have to live a life where you stop for the one who is highlighted. You stop for the one. But again, what about the other thousands of people that were not stopped for? I'm just going to let you sit in that for a moment. What about all the other people? Do you think they didn't have needs? Do you think there was no other disease going on? No other pain going on? No other suffering going on? Jesus is perfect love. What do we do with that? We let it go when it's Jesus. Because immediately we're like, yes, Jesus is perfect love. He knew what he was doing. It's love. I'll figure it out. Well, what happens when somebody in this room doesn't pick you as the one? What do you do? Do you trust in their ability to hear the Father? Do you trust in your ability to hear the Father? Because maybe he didn't pick them because he wants to tell you himself. It's really easy to judge when you're forgetting about love and you get into the self-care camp. Why didn't you stop for me? Why didn't you take time for me? This is all part of love in the kingdom. If we want to shine bright in this world, we not only have to like pour out love by stopping and listening and going immediately when it may be inconvenient for us, for stopping, giving attention, but we also have to steward this right here and stay in love because you cannot love and judge at the same time. It's our choice to stay in love when we're not the one being chosen, when we're not the one being stopped for. That, that had me chewing on it for a little while. We also see... At the end of Luke 9, I'm going to go there now. There's another crowd that Jesus runs into. It's the next crowd he, he runs into. And I want to show you he actually had a response about the crowd. Let me make sure I'm on the right verse. Oh, I think it's supposed to be eight, because I was like, that's talking about a perverse generation. That's not where I was going. <laughs> Here it is. Okay. <laughs> now we're back to my story, okay? Oh, I lost it. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to tell you from memory. 
because it hit me so hard, is it said that Jesus was moved with deep compassion when he was moving through the crowd and he saw every person there. He was moved with deep compassion. But guess what? He didn't minister. His response wasn't ministering to every single person in that crowd. His response was turning to his disciples and telling them to ask the harvester for more reapers. This is where he said, the harvest is a plenty and the workers are few. His answer to the crowds was first compassion. He, he did see them. Know that sometimes you are seen even if you're not pointed out. The second thing that he did was emphasize empowerment instead of burnout. If anyone could have done it all, all by himself, it could have been Jesus. But he did not choose that. When he went into ministry, he immediately pulled in disciples. Empowerment was the first thing on his mind. He wasn't going to burn out. We saw him multiple times resting and praying. He still sacrificed, okay? Let's be real. If we lived Jesus' lifestyle, I'd be tired, okay? He, will, he did sacrifice. But his goal was empowerment. Jesus' answer was taking the time to empower others. Instead of burning himself out, because he knew that love, more love can happen in multiplying than in just spending yourself. He was in it for the long game. And sometimes that's the perspective that we need to get into when we're not understanding love. Is what is the long game? What is eternal love? What is important when we put on a lens of eternity? Because though our emotions may be really intense in this moment, will they be intense in eternity? Is it important in an eternal sense? So he knew that even though some of those people may not come away free in that moment, he saw the long run of this. The multiplying of the church, the raising up of the church of his bride. This is how he wanted it done. He would have stayed on earth if his plan was just to hit all the people. Don't you think that he could have lived an eternal life walking on earth if he wanted to? Absolutely. He could have just been here forever with us, making sure that everyone experienced him. It's not what he chose. So what does that look like for us? We get that with Jesus, right? So many times we're like, yeah, that was Jesus, great. What does that look like for us? That means that I can't physically give attention to every single person in this room. You can't give attention to every single person in this room. That's choosing burnout. We empower we see the gifting in people, let it raise up. We call out the gold in people. We rise up together. 
But this is how it works, is I know that I can't do all, but I have faith in Jesus that what I can't do, you guys are doing. This is how we do it as a family. So who are you stopping for? Can I just have like a brutally honest moment here? If you didn't stop for somebody that you felt like you should have, it's not my fault. Like, let's be honest. As a senior leader, a whole lot of fault gets casted this way, okay? And it's okay. God gives us grace. (laughs) But that one is not my fault. That one is not my responsibility. I can't take it. It's yours. This is how we empower you. With some tough love and some ooey-gooey love and some smacks on the rear and some hugs. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Okay. This one is kind of my favorite part. You probably won't think it's your favorite part, but it's okay. The next part of the story is while Jesus is talking to the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus' daughter dies. We know she's raised to life again, okay? So we kind of go into that story knowing what's going to happen, but pretend you didn't know. (laughs) Stepping into the humanity of the situation, of the Bible story. She died because Jesus stopped. Imagine how Jairus could have felt. I can't give heart motives, but if I was a parent, there'd be a whole lot of thoughts going through my head. Like, I asked you to come. You said you would, and you decided to stop and get distracted. (laughs) Judgment. Blocks love. It's so easy to do sometimes. (laughs) He could have felt very rejected. That you didn't feel like I was important enough to keep going. To have focus for my pain. For my situation. For my daughter. Very honest reaction, right? Like I said, I'm only hypothesizing. If I was stepping into that humanity, I would be working that out with the Lord. (laughs) Many would say, if you didn't know that this was Jesus and how it ended, they'd be saying, you caused unneeded pain because you decided to stop and become unfocused in what you were doing. Have we heard this about other people? Have we heard this being talked about with ministers when they make decisions? It probably didn't feel like love to them in that moment. That Jesus was talking to a woman and taking time with her and his daughter died in the midst. But I love Jesus' response in the Passion Translation. It says, don't yield to fear. Have faith in me and she will live again. Don't yield to fear. That is such an important thing to grasp right here. Fear will happen. 
We're humans. Fear will happen. But he said, don't yield to it. Have faith in me. So love gave a choice between fear and faith. Again, he is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wanted to do in that situation. He could have just like bopped Jairus on the forehead and been like, this is what's going to happen. If almost like this like robot thing, like you will obey me. <laughs> but he didn't. Love let Jairus steward his own heart. He was obviously struggling if Jesus stopped and said, don't yield to fear. Okay? I can't say what his thoughts were, but there must have been thoughts for Jesus to look at him and said, do not yield to fear. Have faith in me. But he didn't take that tension away from Jairus. He gave him an option. That is a beautiful thing, to just have a heavenly option. When we are in fear, when we are in pain, when we are in overwhelm, to have that option. But he didn't rescue him. He didn't swoop in and rescue him. He's not a rescuer in that sense. Because that type of rescuing will just keep you in your powerless behavior, in your powerless mindsets, in your patterns that don't make you more Christ-like. If he came in and swooped in and rescued you every time you felt uncomfortable. Because don't you think if he was that rescuing type, don't you think that he would have swooped in with Eve? Like, let's not do that. I'm going to take that apple from you. Thank you very much. Let's not go that route. (laughs) Right? That is a perfect opportunity to sweep in and be like, don't ruin the earth. Thank you. (laughs) Guys, like sometimes we get so lofty in our spiritualness is reading the Bible <laughs> that we don't sit here and actually think about this. How it actually applies to us as humans. So he'd let them stay. We've seen this many times with the disciples too. He just let them stay in that tension and figure it out. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. No explanation. (laughs) That tension is good for us. That tension is love. Letting somebody sit in their tension and not taking it away from them is kingdom love. It is powerful love. Because when they can work through it with the Lord, it's theirs. It's theirs. It's yours to hold. It's your inheritance at that point. I also want to point out that love isn't ran by emergencies. If it was, Jesus wouldn't have stopped every single time. He would not have stopped for that woman 
if he was ran by emergencies. He'd be like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. And then he probably would have been throwing arms at people, like, get out of my way, I gotta go, I gotta go, right? That's emergency. (laughs) Do you think the father wasn't aware that Jairus' daughter was going to die while he asked Jesus to stop? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves. Do you think that he didn't know? Of course he knew. He had him stop, though. Again, because it's long game mentality. It's eternal. Love is eternal, and its view is eternal. So he chose for her to be asleep, to take a nap, while he reached one more person that needed it then. We see this aspect of love again in John 11 with the story of Lazarus. That's the one that we typically think of. But think about this one with with Lazarus. This girl was like loved by him, but not known by him as a human. She was the daughter of a guy that came up to him and interrupted his conversation. Lazarus was his friend. He said that he deeply loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. But he did not go. When Lazarus was sick and dying, he waited two days before he even started in that direction. So there goes that formula of love always goes right now. (laughs) And then by the time he got there, he was already dead for four days. Imagine the amount of pain the friends and family went through. But everything Jesus did was perfect love. Chew on that one. Everything that he did, every move that he made, every choice that he made was perfect love. And love waited. Why? It wasn't at the timetable of Martha and Mary, that's for sure. This wasn't at the timetable that Jairus wanted. It brought God more glory to wait. It showed God's love even brighter and purer because of the wait. Sometimes we forget that. We're like, do you not see? Do you not understand what I am going through? Do you not understand the amount of emotion and grief and pain and suffering? Why are you waiting? Why are you not showing up? And I'm talking like here to each other. Why are you not paying attention to my pain? Can you not see the pain on my face? Why are you not paying attention to it? Why are you not running at me? Why are you not giving me everything that I could ever need so I feel better for a little bit? Yeah, Timmy got that one. (laughs) Sometimes love waits. That's a hard one because we're talking about death. Like, that's some intense situations. 
Love's goal isn't make, to make you feel good in the moment. Love's purpose is to have the Father glorified. <laughs> the same reason love didn't stop for every single person in the crowd, Christ isn't building a one-man show. He's building a bride. He's building a kingdom of priests. And as much as we have to pour out love, we have to steward love when it doesn't look like how we think it should look like in the moment. And then we're going to end on this last little chunk where Jesus only had his disciples and the girl's parents in the room. It started by saying that there was people there crying, mourning, grieving. There's a crowd. He kicked them all out. Doesn't that sound loving? <laughs> Have you ever been kicked out? Did that feel great? Did you feel loved in that moment? Oh, but Jesus is perfect love. I'm telling you, we got to work through some of this stuff if we actually want to love one another in this world that we live in. It's not ooey-gooey all the time. If we want to build kingdom, this is what love looks like. Love is complex. He kicked them out. It's not elitism. That's what we like to, when we step into judgment, when our feelings are like, ugh, judgment says, well, there, it's just elitism. Oops. That's not love. You just blocked love in that thought. But there are moments, guys, that when people who have taken the time to steward, grow themselves, mature, work through their tensions, and come out stronger on the other side with greater kingdom knowledge that is in them, greater kingdom love that is in them, greater kingdom faith that is in them because of their journey in history with the Lord, there's going to be moments where those people are welcome into a situation and those who have not gone on that journey are not welcome. That's how it is. That's how Jesus just did it. Love does not hand out participation awards. I won't get on that soapbox. We'll just leave that there. Your giggles know, makes me know that you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we have to work this love out. If we want to be in situations where we see the dead raised, if we want to be in the room when the dead are raised, we have to go on this journey. We have to allow ourselves to go through this tension of that didn't look right to my mind. Where's the kingdom? Where's God? Where's Jesus? How do I look at this from a kingdom perspective? How do I need to change my heart? How do I need to change my motive posture? Because it's not love that's blocking you. 
It's your immaturity that is building a wall. That is, it's like when John was saying that we fast for us. We don't fast to convince God. We fast to change our heart posture. It's the same thing with this journey of finding powerful kingdom love. We have to work through it. So what we can see from this story is there, there can never be a formula for love. There is no formula for love. I feel like that sometimes we don't even realize that we're formulating it, but that is how pastors are getting burned out like crazy. That is how staffs are getting burned out like crazy because they just keep laying it down, laying it down, laying it down, saying, Jesus, this is sacrificial love. My family doesn't matter because I got to pour out the love to the people. That is formulating love. We can't take one story, even this one story that had all these different elements in it. I challenge you guys to read through these Gospels. Now that we have taken, what, like 16 verses and talked about it for like 45 minutes, and I only just hit the tip of everything that the Lord told me in this story. Read the stories. Dig into it. How would you react in that situation? How would you respond on all sides? Because you can't take one story and soundbite it and say, this is love. This is what love looks like. I'm going to do it for everyone. This is the way that it is. If you're not doing it this way, you're wrong. You must not know Jesus. You must not be living in the kingdom because this is how it's done. Jesus is too complex for that. He is too nuanced for that. And guess what? You were made in his image. Therefore, you are a complex creature. You are very nuanced. You are complicated. You have layers. And you are interacting with another complicated human being. Empty and powerless love reacts. They are tugged to and fro from the emergencies. Putting out the fire, putting out the fire, putting out the fire, putting out the fire, right? Or they're in this self-love camp of reaction. And that's the, huh, I'm going to punch you in the face if you say that to me again. <laughs> that didn't feel good, I don't take it. Powerful kingdom love, it responds. And not only does it respond, it responds to the Father. If we train ourselves to respond to the Father in the Father alone, He will steward everyone else's hearts and spirits. Sometimes it is a difficult thing to do and the years that John and I have been in ministry we have been cultivating and practicing stopping and just diving into people who are highlighted to us there were seasons where we felt guilty that we weren't talking to everyone that we weren't spending time developing relationships with every single person in the room 
but you have to be in a lifestyle. You can love on people. It's not like you have to be rude, okay? Like, if somebody walks by you, don't not look at them because they weren't highlighted to you. You know, say hello, <laughs> hug them. You know what I mean? But, like, when it's time for those connections and you're going to get invested into them, who is the Lord highlighting to you? Because we have to trust the Lord that if we are stewarding ourselves and know that we are reaching out to everyone who is highlighted to us, he's going to take care of everyone else because they're going to be highlighted to somebody else. It's hard, but it's needed for us to stay healthy, for us to show love. And you know what? Sometimes somebody's not highlighted to me because the love that naturally comes out of me isn't the love that they need at that moment. It's the love that they need from the person that's sitting next to them. We're all nuanced. We all have different love to give. <laughs> and our emotions will be involved. I won't, I won't land on this, don't worry. <laughs> I just always got to throw it in there. We are going to feel, and it's not always going to be pleasant. It doesn't mean it's not love. We have to get past the warm, ooey-gooey version of love. That's the shallow love. That's the, like, see, taste that little bit. Isn't that good? You want to come in a little bit more? I have to get you with that because there's tension after that. <laughs> But we know the goodness of the Father. At the core of powerful kingdom love is that love and freedom. When eternity is the sphere, love may not look like you want it to look like in the short term. So, what are we going to choose? What are we going to do when that tension rises up in us? What are we going to do when somebody says something kind of offensive to us? Or in that moment, our heart's desire is, I really want them to see me right now. And they don't. How's love going to look like in you? How are you acting in kingdom love right now? How are you not? Where can we change our heart postures? How can we become more self-aware of how we're representing love, of how we're representing the Father? Because even if you are the person who is spending every waking minute giving to all the people, if it was not what the Lord told you to do, you are still an heir. You are still not walking in kingdom. You're walking in flesh. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But we have to swallow it if we're going to be effective in showing love, of showing the Father, of representing him well. So everyone stand up. Just go ahead and close your eyes right now.
<laughs> Father, just speak to them. I just want to start with an edification from the Father. How have you done well loving? What does your love look like? How does the Lord see you? The first thing we have to do is become aligned in his thoughts for us. If we want to feel love and be a conduit of love, we have to be, I always picture it as we have to step into the waterfall of his thoughts for us. Because we can easily step out of it and forget who we are. So step into that waterfall and just let him bask over you, his love and affection for who you are. Now in that place of just being in his love, in that confidence that you are loved by the Father unconditionally, where are some places that your heart posture needs to adjust? What are the patterns in your life? Do you tend to gravitate towards the self-care, self-love camp? Do you tend to gravitate towards the doormat? Of it's just easier if people don't see me. <laughs> As the Lord begins to bring up these areas in our hearts, Begin to just with the Lord say, I'm making that change. Where do I normally get offended with people? Where do I see the lack of love in people all the time? Because most of the time, if I'm seeing it in everyone, it's my own heart posture, not them. Sink into that tension. How did those situations make you feel? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond when you feel devalued? How are you going to respond, not react, respond when you feel unseen? Lord, give us eternal eyes. Give us eternal eyes. That every emotion, every situation is temporary. And so we just give it to you, Father. We respond by going to you first. <laughs>
to speak grace over the room, compassion over the room, compassion for others who are working through this, and compassion for yourself in areas that you know that you need work, in areas that you know tend to hurt, tend to make you react instead of respond. Compassion and grace. Compassion and grace, the cornerstone of love that keeps you rooted in that powerful kingdom love. There may be people that the Lord brings up in these memories that you have held judgment against them and you need to forgive them. What was Jesus' response to betrayal? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is such a powerful, powerful tool that the Lord has given us. Prager team, if you guys can go ahead and come forward. something came to mind when she was talking. I was sitting at dinner with, a, or actually lunch, with a friend, a well-known minister, I don't know, a year ago. And he was just sharing how someone near to him was going through a mess and he wanted to help, but he didn't feel like he, he wasn't sure what to do. And I felt like I had a word, and I just told him, I said, whatever you do, don't put out the fire that God's using to purify them. And I, I find that there's... Tiffany spoke really powerfully into this this morning. There is a, if you listen to this sermon this morning and, you've, and you still felt in your heart this like, well, but I, you know, I still want to go out there and there's still this push. I need to do this for people. I need to do this for people. I would encourage you to really look in and ask if you're doing it for them or if you're doing it for you. some of the hardest things to hear, but so often what happens is, is we can actually, out of lack in our life, we feel fulfilled by being someone else's Holy Spirit. And we can be a counterfeit Holy Spirit. What does that mean? You become their peace. You become their direction. You become their comfort. Problem is, is you were never designed to be that. But you can fulfill it for a while. And we can actually become a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit in someone's life out of a desire. Often, it may not always be out of a need, but you can still become that. And I want to challenge you this morning because I felt like the Lord just dropped that in my spirit at the end for some of you that really like, maybe you struggle to not get involved. <laughs> maybe you really always want to get involved. Really look in there and make sure you're not getting a need fulfilled from every time you help somebody. The reason Jesus could do it so well 
I was reading, a, I flipped a scripture. It says that he knew he was from God and he knew he was going back to God. What does that mean? He knew exactly who he was. There was nothing in what he did that was from a place of not knowing who he was. And from that place, like you said so well, he didn't have to react. He just responded. And so I'm encouraging you, pastoral type people, don't fall in that trap. A peacekeeper is the counterfeit of a peacemaker. <laughs> Peacemakers sometimes let things happen because they know at the end that will make peace in you. But I can keep stepping in and keep peace for a while. And so Tiffany has done this. That is a, that's the best sermon you've ever preached, in my opinion. That was so powerful. are awesome. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Some of you are going to need that support. Support and forgiveness. Support and not being scared to look inside yourself. This is what these people are here for. And this week, I really encourage you to begin looking through the Gospels again and really look at Jesus. On the practical side, journal it out or if you're not into journaling find that safe person that's in your life and talk it out talk out where things hurt talk out where things are hard because God will hide all the keys you need in you activating yourself and you being intentional to find his love so bless you guys. Smiles. I love you. I know this one was a little hard. But Jesus loves you. Hug everyone. <laughs> Spread some ooey gooey love. <laughs> and buy all of the lemonade. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message or sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.